Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Ever gather them all. Some of those feathers will stay dispersed forever. And it's the same thing with the words of our mouth. Sometimes we just blast a lot of information out there and then we regret it. And when we regret it, we try to say we're sorry. We try to back it up. We try to cover it up, smooth it over with some good, uh, 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 fine words. In the meanwhile, the damage is already done. And so uh, I'm going to ask you a question. If you know somebody today that you wish would have come to today's message because they've got a problem with their tongue, say, I do. If that person is sitting next to you, do not look over there. It will, inc- it will, it will, they'll know what you're thinking. But quite honestly, when I ask that question, some of you, the name just, bam, it came out, had a beacon on it with a siren, right? You're like, I know that person. And honestly, it may be the person sitting next to you. The truth is, that's from our vantage point. We know who needs this message. And I know it's not you, church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, So I want you to take notes and share it with those who need it. Amen? Amen. The truth is, our vantage point is we know who needs it most, right? And it's somebody else. From God's vantage point, think about this. He tells us about the tongue because he knows we, I, you need to hear this message about the tongue. This is applicable to everybody. Men, women, boys, girls, male, female, all of us need this message. And if you agree with that, if you agree with God that he put it in Scripture because he knows you need it, say, I need it. All right, we're off to a good start. Y'all just confessed it. We're off to a good start with some confession. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to drive home the point that if James, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, yielded two-thirds of a chapter to this subject 2,000 years ago, obviously the first century church needed to hear this. (laughs) And they didn't have social media. They didn't have smartphones. I want you to know today, it's it's not just our talk that he's talking about. He's talking about our tweets. He's talking about our type. He's talking about every form of communication we need. And I'm telling you the truth, we need it more than the first century church did because we communicate way too much and we use our tongues to do more damage than we do uh, use our tongue for good. When you're a kid, you hear this expression. You might have shared it with your children. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Now we need to confess again because you just lied. Sticks and stones may break your bones. Words, it's, words do hurt. In fact, they will destroy us. In fact, they'll, they'll quench the spirit within us. They'll stifle our life. And they're brutal. If you don't believe me, visit a middle school. Hang out at the girls' table. I'm just saying, man, it's brutal. It's wicked. Sticks and stones will break our bones, but the words will crush us. Words, sometimes healing from sticks and stones would be a shorter recovery than healing from the words that people say in our world. And you know it's true. That's why God has yielded part of his inerrant, infallible, eternal word from a living, loving God about the tongue. 
Because God knows it's a problem. And God knows it's a problem for your preacher. And God knows it's a problem for your deacons. And God knows it's a problem for every single person who walks on this planet. Because we, unless we are intentional about training our tongue, we fail. Now, you can do some research, as I did about the tongue, about conversation. You'll find out that the average American participates in 30 different conversations every single day. You'll also find out that about 20% of your life experience will be engaged in conversation in some way. You may have heard it said that the average man speaks about 20,000 words a day. The average woman about 30,000 words per day with gust up to 50. Now, you may have heard that, and I'll, I'll show you in a minute that's not necessarily true. One man was asked, he said, do you re, he was asked, do you resent your wife for always having the last word? To which he replied, no, quite honestly, I'm glad when she gets to the last word. Now, some knucklehead said that. I didn't say that, Kendra. I read that, okay, just for the record. Now, the truth is, James Pennebaker, the chair of the University of Texas at Austin's psychology department, conducted research about how men and women use their tongue. The sexes came out just about even in the daily averages. Women speak an average of 16,215 words a day, and men came in about 15,669 words per day. But he pointed out that the research shows that women tend to speak more about other people, whereas men are more apt to hold forth on more concrete objects. Holding forth that the stereotypes may be true, that ladies tend to gossip more while guys engage in car talk more often. It is what it is. That's just the research, okay? You, you can't kill the messenger, you know, that's just a message from Texas. So whether somebody speaks 10 words a day or 10 million words a day, the point is this. We need to learn how to control those words. We need to learn how to control the tongue that lies inside of our mouth. And so we're going to learn today how we can do that. Now, when we think about the tongue, which you probably had never thought about it very much until you are eating something and it just airs from its position, lands in between two chomping teeth, and then you all of a sudden you think about the tongue. Otherwise, you don't think about it much, but listen to what the brain, what the tongue does in our life. It tells the brain if something is sweet, sour, bitter, or salty. It communicates with our senses to determine our favorite food or drink. It serves as a thermocouple to let you know if something's hot or cold. It helps to chew our food and position it for swallowing. It cleanses our mouth and our teeth of debris and food. It forms letters and sounds and syllables for speech. All the while, it typically stays out of the way of chomping teeth. At night, no matter the position that we lay in, it, it doesn't obstruct our airways. The muscle of the tongue is quite impressive. It does all of that kind of naturally. It's when it gets influences from an outside source, from the brain motivating the emotion of the heart, telling the tongue how to be used. That's when it seems to fail most miserably. You see, it doesn't just stop with all of those good accolades and attributes. It can lift up or tear down. It can liberate or enslave. It can witness of good or gossip of all that is bad. It can encourage, it can discourage. It conveys positivity, negativity, love, 
and obscenities all sometimes in the same paragraph. And so God has placed our tongue, I believe, inside of a prison surrounded by approximately 32 pearly white bars called teeth for a reason. I think there's times when we should grit our teeth, contain our tongue, and hold our words. And we're going to see today that I think James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants us to do the same. But before we get to James, let's go to the creator of the tongue, the sustainer of the tongue, the one who used the tongue to perfection. His name would be Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, he says, you make a good tree. You make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Offspring of vipers, that's what he's calling the ones that he's speaking to. I just think that's kind of funny. He's just name-calling offspring of vipers. He says, how are you able to say anything good since you are evil? And then he says this, for the mouth speaks from what fills the heart. Then he goes on, the good person brings good things out of his good treasury. And the evil person brings evil things out of his evil treasury. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every worthless word they speak. Let's say it together. Ouch. Amen. Every worthless word we get to give an account for. Uh Uh-oh. Uh Uh-oh. Then he finishes in 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, we'll talk about that last verse next week. Jesus also said about the tongue in Matthew chapter 15, verse 10, he says, Then he called the crowd to him, and he said, Listen and understand. What defiles a person is not what goes into the mouth. It is what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. He says, don't you understand that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and then passes out into the sewer? (laughs) Jesus is talking about the natural bodily functions, right? And he says, what goes into the mouth is not the player that runs you. It's what comes out of the mouth. Verse 16, he says, but the things that come out of the mouth, they come from the heart. And these things defile a person. In Luke chapter 12, he says, nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. I need everybody leaning and listen because this one hurt me. I want it to hurt you along with me. He says, it is not nothing, nothing is hidden that will not be revealed and nothing is secret that will not be made known. So then whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the private rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops again. uh Uh-oh. Everything we say, God knows. God listens to every conversation, both that comes out of our mouth and those conversations that circle the corridors of our mind. God knows your thoughts. God knows your words. And Scripture says that one day we get to have to answer for all of our words. And it's a little bit staggering to think about that. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, Paul comes in and he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, 
So now we know scripture is very clear about how we need to exercise and learn to train our tongue, how we need to use it for the glory of God and the edification of brothers and sisters and to share the gospel to a lost and dying world. That's the reason he gave us the ability to communicate. And, and often we have all of this other stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing necessarily innate, innately wrong about everything else we talk about. It's part of what we do while we're at work, when we're training our children, when we're having a conversation with our spouse. No matter. We have conversations, but our conversations should be directed and controlled through the filter of the Word of God. And, and, and the sooner we get that, the sooner we get to stop saying, hey, I'm sorry I said that. You know, we, we hate those words. We hate saying that because that admits that we're guilty. And so whether it's in talk, text, type, or tweet, we need to learn how to control what comes out of our mouth. If you agree with that, say amen. If you agree with that more about the person sitting next to you, say double amen. That's right. Thank you, Gene. Me and you going to the doghouse this afternoon. We'll be, me and you will eat lunch for Mother's Day. How's that? So it's true, it's real, it's how we are and who we are. And so we should learn to ask a couple of questions before we talk. One of those is this, does what I am saying honor God? Simple question, but profound in its answer. Does what I'm saying honor God? And secondly then, if it's honoring to God, is it my place to say it? Sometimes we have answers to the questions that ain't nobody asking. But we got the answers, and we defend those answers with the idea or the philosophy that says, I'm supposed to share this because I'm right, and truth prevails, and Jesus knows I'm right, so Jesus wants me to say this. Well, that's okay if you want to believe that, but if we look at the person you're referring to giving you the, the uh, uh, freedom to share that you got to ask something about Jesus. Did Jesus say everything he knew that was right and true? He, he didn't have time for all that. You see, Jesus knew that he was going to live 30 years of a, a normal but perfect human life. And at the end of his approximately 30 years, he would be baptized in the Jordan River and his ministry would, be, would begin where his divinity and his humanity would really be on display. And for three short years, he would minister to this world, revealing that he was God, performing miracles and speaking truth in love and everything that he did, only to prepare him to die brutally on a cross for your sin and for my sin. Jesus knew that, so he knew he didn't have time to tell everything he knew that was true. And everything Jesus knew was true. Everything, Jesus knew everything. He could have shared everything. He could have walked up into every situation. He could say, hey, I know what's going on right here. You need to do this right here. Hey, I know what's going on. You need to do this. Hey, I've just been thinking about you. You know what you need to do? You need to do this. How do I know this? Because I'm God, okay? And how do I know what you need to do? Because I'm God. And I know, and, and I'm right. I'm always right because I'm God, and I can't be wrong. It's always true, and it can't be false, so I just need to tell everybody what's going on in their world. He didn't do that. He didn't do it at all. You see, Jesus understood that people make mistakes. Jesus understood that he could correct an individual mistake in somebody's life, but that wouldn't prevent them from making a mistake the next time around. So what Jesus did, Jesus elevated the conversation between the mistakes of this life. 
Jesus elevated the conversation to the condition of the heart. Jesus knew that out of the mouth and how we live our lives is a product of what's going on in our heart. Jesus elevated the conversation to say, listen, if you will give your life to God, if you will do God's will in your life, your tongue and your actions will ultimately follow. You see, sometimes the greatest thing that can happen in your life is a mistake. There's nothing wrong with making mistakes. Young people, you're going to make them. You know how I know? Because your parents made them. They still make them. We still make them. The key is to not make the same mistake over and over and over. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus' way of communicating was, listen, let's live our lives for a different purpose and for a different, uh, with a different allegiance and let God begin to change us from the inside out. And so Jesus knew that our heart was the problem. So now to the message. Point number one on the back of your worship guide is this, loose lips and hasty hearts bring discipline. They bring discipline. Here's what it says in James chapter 3, verse 1. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. I don't even like that verse. I wish I was a buffet Bible believer. You know, you pick what you want to believe and say, oh, that's good. That's from God. Oh, this is dated material. That doesn't apply to me. That's not who we are. Scripture's for all of us. And I'm a preacher. I do this kind of for a living. And he says, not many of you should become what I am. He says, why? Because you know. Well, I know now because I just read that. He said, because you know that you will be judged more strictly. This is one of those sobering verses that makes us go, man, I, maybe I should do something else. Okay? And you say, yeah, that one's a, it's a biggie for you, preacher. It's not just for me. He says, not many of you should become teachers. I'm not talking about an occupation. He's talking about a demonstration of your life before other people. He says, in a nutshell, he says, you need to be careful what you teach people in your circle. If you are a preacher, you need to be very careful. If you are a teacher by occupation, you need to be very careful. If you are a Sunday school teacher or a life group teacher, you need to be careful. Maybe you're just a mother or a father, you better be careful. Maybe you're a grandparent, you better be careful. Maybe you're a teammate, you better be careful. Maybe you're a student in a school with a circle of influence, you better be careful. Maybe in your neighborhood, you need to be careful. Everything we say and everything we do is being used to teach somebody else what our core belief system is. Everything we do and everything we say is a form of teaching and influencing other people. In Matthew 18, 6, Jesus said this. He says, whoever causes one of the little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's pretty heavy stuff. He says, listen, you want to lead a little boy or a little girl astray? You don't want to be a good role model for your children or your grandchildren? 
You want to do something that would cause, you want to question their faith. You want to stifle their growth in the spirit when they look up and say, there must be a God. Look at the animal kingdom. There must be a God. Look at the stars of the sky. There must be a God. Look at the birds. There must be a God. And you want to say, yeah, well, you know, it's just, that's, it, it's, it's all came here by evolution. You know, or you want to just bust them up. He says, you'd be better off to have a, a millstone around your neck. And you say, well, I would never, I've never, I would never do that to my children. What about teaching them unfaithful practices? What about teaching them the things that we take into our life? What about teaching them by the words we use? All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, if you cause one of them to stumble, you'd be better off to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the sea. Second Peter 2.1 says, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who brought them bringing upon themselves swift destructions heresies now when we talk about prophets false prophets we think about in the old testament a prophet but I want you to know, to, to know today, each one of us are modern-day prophets. We proclaim, we prophesy information about God based on how we live our lives, the decisions we make, the choices we make, and the words we use. We are prophets, and if we're false prophets, again, he says, they will bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, let me drive this home. How do you know whether or not you're influencing people? Well, first of all, if you have children you can know. If you have grandchildren, you can know. You just watch them and you listen to them and all of a sudden they will let you know you have a couple of little disciples in boot camp because they start saying things that you say. And sometimes you're like, Major, Major is a praying giant, okay? Anytime we say pray, if, if I walk out of this church, he said, Papo, amen. I can be over here during Parents' Day Out, and I'll, he'll find me, and I'll be doing something. I'll bring him in here. He walks into this room. You know what he says? Amen. He gets it, all right? But that same little boy, if we're not careful, he'll start saying other words other than amen, and I'll leave that to your imagination based on what he hears his daddy say, not his papa. From anybody, from anybody, because we're all teachers and we all have a circle of influence. And God says it matters. And so we've got to learn to control our tongues. Now, I gotta share this because what about, what, what does this mean to somebody like me who does this for a living, okay? You, you gotta know, you've heard my history. I, I had a whole list of alphabet letters, alphabet soup beside my name growing up that they didn't know yet. You know, A, D, H, D, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, L, M, N, O, P, I'm the guy. They didn't have letters for it. They had a closet. They didn't have letters for it. They had a flat piece of wood with holes in it. And so much of my elementary school years, I did private training in the closet. And then when I got to middle school, that was the transitional era. And don't get me wrong, I know middle schoolers. A paddle is good. And average probably three times a week in middle school, seventh and eighth grade, I got to go to the office to get paddled. This, okay, so I'm the guy. That same kid is a guy that God from his eternal throne in heaven 
reached into my life as a 10-year-old boy and invited me into his family. And I received it. And shortly after that, he called me to preach. And I didn't get it because I was wired differently. But I preached in middle school. I should have got struck by lightning. I made up Bible stories on field trips. They took up an offering and gave me money. God is gracious, amen, because I'm still here. Now, this is the guy that God would choose and call to teach and to preach his eternal, infallible, inerrant word. And then he would send Jesus' half-brother to write this. Not many of you should teach because you'll get judged more strictly. Well, what do I do with that? You made me messed up, and you call me to preach. So how do I go from closet boy, not like closet, closet, but in trouble closet, to paddle boy, to standing up here preaching and teaching God's word to you? How, how, how does that even happen? Boot camp. Long, arduous boot camp. So it looks like this. In 1985, Kendra and I got married, and we landed in a church in Chattanooga, and I didn't know the difference between Moses and Noah. She did. She knew her some scripture. Okay? I married up in the kingdom. Also in brain power. I just married up. And so we found ourselves in a church, and we just were faithful. And I was in love with Jesus. I was hungry. I was growing. I was. But I still didn't know any Bible. And so they said, you know, Joel, we've been watching you. We think it would be good if you taught seventh grade boys. That's like rehab in the prison system. But it was a good place because I knew they didn't know what I didn't know. And if I just was convincing enough that what I knew was right, they had to believe me because they were idiots. So here's what I did. I would study five to ten hours a week to teach a middle school boys class on Sunday morning. And I would go in there with a bunch of notes, my Bible all tattooed up and colored in, and they didn't want to hear a word of it, you know? And I taught them. And I just, I, I, it was wild. It was wild, okay? But I taught them. I did my duty. But I was in boot camp, that's what it was. Boot camp for the tongue. Get out of that boot camp for just a few years, and God calls us to Alabama. We get to Alabama in a church down there. And God says, I'm going to invite you to teach adults, married couples. I can fool a bunch of seventh graders. These are adult people. What I learned was young adults, when they first get married, they're about like middle schoolers. And so they got it. And, and, I, and I, I would t now I would study 10, 15 hours a week for a lesson on Sunday morning. I traveled probably 40 to 60,000 miles a year in sales. I would put in a cassette. I would order these cassettes from people like David Jeremiah and Chuck Swindoll and John MacArthur and Adrian Rogers and Johnny Hunt. I'd listen. I'd just devour their stuff. And I was learning the Bible. I didn't know I was in boot camp, okay? But I was using my time. And I would come in on Sunday morning, and, I, and, and they loved the class because I loved the Word, and they knew it, and I loved them, and they felt it. So it wasn't long after that, God sent us to a church out in central Alabama who wanted me to be the youth director. 
And I thought, why would you ask me to be the youth director? And then it dawned on me. They didn't have any youth. They knew I couldn't tear up what I didn't have. Had they had a bunch of youth, they would have hired a guy who was good. They had no youth, so they hired me. And so we did youth ministry for a few years. And it went from like nothing to a hundred. And it was amazing. It was so fun. It was just a sweet, sweet season. And then God moved us to Clinton, Tennessee at Second Baptist Church. And my ministry became children through college with facilities because I'm in boot camp. And then along the way, God began to burn in my heart. Now you need to get a little more formal education to go with your boot camp. So you're going to get some now official training. So we want you to go to seminary. Now this is closet boy all the while. This is paddle boy the whole time. Dallas Theological Seminary. Amazing think tank. Amazing seminary. They moved to campus here to Knoxville for a year. So I joined it. I got a master's degree in Christian uh, leadership. Yeah, pretty cool. Impressive closet boy has a master's degree. Why? Because God is training me to use me. So I finished that. I'm done. I'm toast. I don't want to read another book. I don't want to write another paper. I'm done. God, thank you for the boot camp. Send me out. Then he told me I needed to go on and get my doctorate. Signed up at Liberty University. Drove to Liberty 11 weeks. The classes would last a week and you'd have two months to do your project. 11 times I drove to Virginia to school. Finished all my classwork. And then this project started seven and a half years ago. This revitalization. And boy, was it a lot of work. And the dean of my school, who was a friend of mine, got cancer and he died. And it let the wind out of my sails. I didn't want to write another paragraph. I didn't want to go to another class. I didn't even want to think about seminary. I said, that's fine right there. And then about a year ago, God rattled our cage again. And, and Friday, Tim Stallings, our executive pastor, and I walked across a stage in North Carolina and received a doctorate degree. Now, yeah, praise God. Now, I told you that predominantly because I want to raise. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, kind of. I, I, told, I told you that because I was the kid that was in the closet in elementary school for discipline. I was the kid getting beat up by the principal in his office with a paddle in middle school. And I don't say any of that to say, wow, look how good that guy is. I tell you that story because I am an average guy in the hands of a supernatural God. And I want you to know, no matter where you are in your journey, God has designed you, formed you, planned you, purposed you with something bigger than you know. And he wants to put you in boot camp. Because just like he uses me to edify the body and to glorify the Father, he wants to use you too. And I don't know, maybe yours looks like mine. May hopefully better. Maybe, you, maybe he called you to preach. 
Maybe he called you just to instruct your family well. Maybe he called you to be a tool in your workplace to proclaim the greatness of God. He wants to use your tongue and your mouth right where you are, not for evil, but for good and for his glory. And so, all of that being said, now he says, be careful, Pastor Joel. Be careful, Christian, because you will be strictly judged when you teach anybody. So what does it mean? How are we strictly judged? How do we get double judgment? One is called hypocrisy discipline. When a teacher emphasizes truth and a truth that cuts, but the teacher speaks only of truth that's applicable to other people, or the the teacher preacher teaches things that they don't want to do themselves, that's a hypocrite. And so hypocrite discipline is in place because people will come to you. You said that, but you don't do that. You say we ought to read our Bible. You ain't reading your Bible. You say you ought to pray. Are you, are you praying? And so it becomes a hypocrisy discipline. In, in the Greek, the word uh, hypocrite is a drama word. That If you were in a play, you would put a face mask on and you would pretend to be somebody that you're not. Number two is the sideline coach discipline. This one's prevalent. And it's where a teacher is judged by those who wish they were the teacher because they have more of the right information. Or maybe they just have a misinterpretation of the information the teacher is conveying. And maybe their, their understanding of the teaching is really jaded by biases and views established from previous teachers. And so we have sideline coach discipline. You know what that looks like when you go to a ball game. It, it doesn't matter if you're in a t-ball game or if you're over at Neyland Stadium. Isn't it true there are always much better coaches in the stands than the ones out on the field? I experienced it at a t-ball game. It's coach pitch, and if you don't hit it, then it becomes t-ball. It's that level. And parents are screaming, Aah! and I'm like, he's four. The kid's four, you know? And the coach is one of them's dad. You ought to be ashamed. Go jump in the creek and cool yourself off. Sideline coaches, man, they're ready. They're ready with some judgment. Thirdly, divine discipline. There is a God who disciplines us when we say things we shouldn't say. I shared it before, Matthew 12. People will give an account for every careless word. And this one I like the most and hate the most at the same time. It's self-discipline. To self-discipline yourself is to evaluate yourself. When you're in school to train and try to figure out how to be a preacher and, and, and they tell you what you need to do is you need to listen to a recording of yourself and watch a video. Have somebody video you and watch it. And you're like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Until you watch it. Until you listen to it. It's like if you decide, man, I've got a voice like the stars. I, I think I'm supposed to be on the voice. And then you record it and you play it back and it's the worst voice you've ever heard in your life. It's like, what happened to the recording? It's dragging and it went flat. What is that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever listened to yourself sing? Even people who are really good are not impressed. Look, you can ask Caleb. Caleb's not impressed with himself. I'm impressed with you. You know, I wish I could do that, okay? I did it for a long time. Didn't sound like that. Somebody said, you ought to sing up there because you used to lead worship. I didn't lead it very good. And so I did what it said. I was watching a video and listening And all of a sudden, I realized, I sound like the biggest hick on the planet. Something's wrong with that recording, or I am the biggest hick on the planet. 
It was B. And so then I, was, I got sick of it, so I started fast-forwarding it, had a fast-forward on it. And at the time, and I probably still do it, my, this hand was, had a mind of its own. The whole time, when I put it in fast-forward, I'm thinking, and this is what my hand's doing. It's just going up and down. I, it's, it's not, it's, I don't know what that is. And so first, I thought, what am I doing that for? And so then I started kind of having to, you know, every time I felt it go up, get over here, you know, because self-discipline. We need to evaluate ourselves, and we need to do that with our speaking. When we are talking to our children, we need to have some introspection where we evaluate how we're doing with our children. I remember reading said the worst thing you can ever do if you're if you have a three year old is when you're disciplining them is to become a three year old yourself. You know your three year old's like I don't want to do that. I'm the parent. You have to do it, right? The worst thing you can do is become one of them. You got to rise above it. And it's the same throughout our whole life. We have to learn to question ourselves. Am, am I doing this well? If not, I need to change some things in my communication. So it's boot camp, long boot camp sometimes. Now, it brings discipline. Secondly, loose lips and hasty hearts reveal development. It's either it can be disciplined or it reveals development. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual, able to control the entire body as well. For the record, God's desire for your life is perfection, holiness. He says it many times in the Bible, be ye perfect, be ye holy, for I am perfect or I am holy. That's his desire. And, and, and in the process of you trying to conform to the image of Jesus and becoming more perfect, to becoming more holy in your life, he has grace sufficient to cover the moments that you're not. But at the same time, he wants that to be the pursuit of our life, to live for him a holy and pleasing life. But at the end of the day, none of us will be perfect until we get to heaven, and then we all become perfect. You see, that James is driving home the point don't stop teaching. Don't bail out and say, man, I don't want to be judged, so I'm not going to help anybody with anything. He's saying, listen, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to stumble. There was only one perfect teacher who ever walked on this planet, and we nailed him to a cross, and you're not him. So do your best Control your tongue, give your heart to God so that the words of your mouth will be pure because of the condition of your heart. So we're all going to mess it up. So in the process, what can we do to begin to exercise some control of this wicked muscle in our mouth called the tongue? Well, one thing we can do is before we begin to talk, we could just hit the pause button and say, one word. You ready for it? Wait. Everybody say, wait. You know what that stands for? Why am I talking? Why am I talking? We need to ask ourselves that question sometimes before we start talking. Why am I talking here? Maybe I should be listening. Maybe I should just smile and say, oh, well. Maybe I should say, I'm going to pray. But maybe it's not my time to talk. Another thing we can do is just think about what we're going to say. And the word think is an acronym. First, the T. Is it true? Not, 
is it true because somebody told me it was true? Not is it true because I've got some good information that is probably true. Is it true, meaning does it come from God's word? That's true. Is it true because I know it's true because I am an eyewitness of it? Is it true? Is it absolutely, emphatically true? If it passes that test, go to the H of the word think. Is it helpful? Is it helpful to speak that truth? As I said earlier, just because it's true doesn't mean it's helpful. And so is it helpful? Thirdly, you go to the word I. Is it inspired? Is what you're getting ready to say, because now you've already taken it through the test, it is true, and I believe it would be helpful. Is the Holy Spirit inspiring me to say this? Or is it just me having the opportunity to share something to let somebody else know how much I know and how in the know I am? Is it inspired by the Holy Spirit to share? Uh, Fourthly, the letter N, is it necessary Is it absolutely necessary that I share this information? And then lastly, the letter K. Be ye kind one to another. Is it kind? Is it kind? And so we begin to ask these questions, and it changes the way we communicate. We begin to train our tongue, our words, and our mouths by asking questions that matter. It has been said that it's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to speak and take away all doubt. Sometimes we're better served with our mouth closed. And don't get me wrong, I know sometimes that's hard. And so our life, we're going to learn, follows our tongue. And how we use our tongue directly influences how much God can use our life. And so as we speak to others and the performance of others, we we begin to judge people without even knowing it. The things we say, we say things that hurt people more than they help people. We say things that reveal the condition of our heart. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's anger. We begin to share the condition of our heart. Meanwhile, the book of James says, your word can bring discipline or your words can reveal development. And so that's where we're gonna stop today. The question is, considering the last week of our life, of your life, would your words be more apt to be disciplined by God, or would the words that you used this week reveal the development of your heart and your walk with Jesus? That's kind of a big question. And maybe you think, well, on Monday, it would be discipline. But on Tuesday, rock star development. But on Wednesday, and maybe it's up and down, all James wants us to do is think about it and ask ourselves a question. Before God, not our peers, God You know me. You created me. You made me. You've given me the experiences of my life. And in this moment, on this day, in my life, am I using my words for you and your glory? Or God, are my words causing me discipline from your perspective? Because God, I want you to use me, change me. 
I want you to develop me and help my words be a revelation of the development of my heart. Every single one of us can apply today's message in our life, starting today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today, and you have a form of religion. You know about God. You know about his words. You know about Jesus. But you don't have a relationship with the God who called you into existence. I want you to know that God loves you right where you are. But I want you to know he loves you too much to leave you right there. God created you with a purpose and a plan. And he wants to deploy you in his kingdom agenda. And it only begins, it can only be launched through Jesus' grace gift upon a cross. And maybe today, the Holy Spirit is inviting you out of religion. He's inviting you into a relationship with him through Jesus' son. And maybe you didn't come here for that. You came here because it's Mother's Day or whatever. But on this day, God has spoken deep in your soul. Your response is not that difficult. Your response is simply to say, God, I, I feel your invitation. I somehow know that you're speaking into me. And God, I want to receive your grace gift. I do want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to speak to me. I want your word to come alive. I want your Holy Spirit to come and live inside me. I want to live for you. I want my words to count for something greater. I want you to help me develop into something uh, for your glory, something that has eternal value. So God, right now, I come before you as a sinner, and I confess my sins. I repent, God, meaning I'm changing directions. I want to walk in a new direction. I want to walk toward you and not away from you. I want Jesus to come in to save me. I want your Holy Spirit to give me the power to live for you. I receive salvation through Jesus today, and I say thank you, God, for choosing to save someone like me. If you just made that decision, you can take a connection card and write your name and your information and just put on there, I got saved today, and we'll contact you and help you with the best decision you've ever made in your life. And maybe you are like me today. You're already saved, born again, in the kingdom, a child of God. But you haven't done a good job allowing God to control your tongue. Your words are more words that could be disciplined rather than demonstrating development of your heart. Would you give God the privilege, the freedom to do a work inside your mouth as a reflection of his work inside your heart? Would you start today speaking edifying words and words that glorify God more than words that do damage in this world. Father, we thank you that you're patient. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, God, that, that we can't control our tongue. Your word says we, no human being, can control their tongue. But God, your Holy Spirit can come in and begin to control our heart.
And when our heart is under the control of the Holy Spirit, our words begin to change. God, help this church be a church that just wants to edify and lift up and encourage and come alongside and help each other with words that lead us all in the right direction so that our community, our families, our neighborhood, and our world will, will, will realize how great you are because you would choose to do what you do in people like us. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.